0: This is the DallasCowboys.com Draft Show,
1: your war room for insider news and draft analysis from deep within the confines of Cowboys headquarters at the Star and Frisco. The
2: Dallas Cowboys
1: select TD Lamb. And now, your hosts, Dane Brugler, Jeff Cavanaugh, Kevin Turner, and Kyle Yeomans.
2: We are just 55 days away from the NFL Draft as we continue on this long offseason journey that is the DallasCowboys.com Draft Show. It's a brand new Thursday edition. We're glad you're along with us here on DallasCowboys.com. Kyle Yeomans alongside Dame Brugler, Jeff Cavanaugh, and the great Kevin KT Turner, as always, here on this Thursday. Guys, we're... Starting to get close, we talked about it on Tuesday with the other group of guys, but the Combine now should be, quote unquote, in the rearview mirror, but there's still a lot of information gathering to be done because Pro Days are on the horizon, Dane, and it continues to be an offseason and a draft process really unlike any other.
3: Yeah, that continues. Uh, We had the Combine list come out this week, uh, which is interesting because it means uh, not quite as much this year, uh, without having the combine. Uh, now you know it'll mean something because you know a um, you know in terms of the medicals, that's uh, that's something that will be funneled through the the, the process, um, and then you know b it, it gives us a better idea of some of the players that are yeah, a lot of NFL teams are looking at, um, and some of the t- players that maybe they're not very high. Uh, on um, and you know we have around thirty uh, non-combine guys uh, get drafted every year, and that'll probably happen this year, even though it is a little different. Um, but it, it's just it, it's just everything's unprecedented as we kind of work our way through. Uh, we got pro days going to be starting up here um, next week, um, and th- those going to run uh, all the way through April. And you know, just talking to people around the league how it's going to work, it's just it's really interesting. They're going to kind of break it up into regions um and just with how the scouts are going to travel to these pro days uh just really interesting uh, as they try to navigate through all this so um you know we're still going to get all the the height weight speed we're still going to get all the agility numbers uh you know and it, it's it's going to be weird because we're going to be hearing a lot of uh, numbers coming out of uh you know workout uh facilities too and you know it's uh, some of them are probably are pretty close. Some of them are probably bogus. And so, you know, hopefully these guys choose to run at the pro day um, and don't just rely on what they're, what they're doing at their facilities. So just a, a really, really interesting part of this uh, weird draft process.
2: Jeff, how tough do you think it is to kind of balance those two? Because in the past we've had kind of that, that easy – comparison between these players and sometimes even getting to see them back to back and and getting to see these different workouts and then all of a sudden you don't have that and you have to go by region. You have to break it up across the country and now it's tougher on these scouting departments to really kind of compare guys especially whenever it comes to the same position.
0: Yeah, and I think the only tough part is that it's not as standardized because it's not all at the same place on all the same things. Uh, and maybe if you're talking about electronics and lasers, teams are going to be comfortable with that anyway. But I've seen numbers that are coming out of these the workout facilities where guys are training, and I just kind of grin like everybody's super fast, everybody's incredible and I'm just like all right, yeah, okay. We got handheld timers that are going real well for you guys. <laughs> so I yeah, I think it's I think the challenge is that it's no longer going to be I mean, I guess like Dane, it's still going to be standardized, right? Like they're not going to be hand timing at the like look, scouts will, but we're going right. to get standardized numbers off of uh, off of a laser, laser aren't laser, we? Right?
3: Uh, I I mean, I, I don't know because they're not going to be able to do standardized, you know, lasers at every single pro day. It's just not feasible. Um, yeah. And so for just uh, continuity purposes, are they going to do hand times? Probably. I mean, a lot of teams, they use hand times anyways, even with the combine. They'll, you know, just, and they they do that so they can have apples to apples comparisons with how they time at pro days. So uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't, I don't feel really. I'm not really confident that we're going to have, a, you know, the standardized uh, part of this
2: process. Hmm. KT, do you think it's more of a trust the tape type of year than any that we've seen so far?
4: Yeah, I mean, my friends Dane and Jeff used to do a podcast that was very popular <laughs> called Trust the Tape, and there's That's a why reason I asked
2: that you that got, why I asked you that question. It's very
4: popular. Yeah. Like there's a reason that podcast wasn't called Trust the Pro Day or Trust the Comdine or Trust. Those the Those names were taken. Those were all taken. Trust the milk in my fridge after the expiration date. There's a reason they didn't title it that. It's it's Trust the Tape. I I think the biggest challenge comes to your holdouts. More than I know, and I know these numbers are important mm-hmm. and things like that, but I think when we start talking about people who didn't play in 2020. How are you convinced that nothing changed from who they were in 2019? I hey, think that's where the challenge is. And also, I think my question is, you see all these things like, um, okay, um, uh, this prospect, has a, he's got a Zoom meeting with uh, the Colts uh, and the Jaguars or whatever. And it's like, do the, these players get knocked if, if the players, uh, you can't really hear them very well on their Zoom? Like, if they have a bad Zoom set up, are you knocking the prospect? Because I think I would have a lot of patience for that. Iffy
0: Wi-Fi. Can't pick him. Yeah.
2: <laughs> what, what's that poster on his wall behind him? Oh yeah, cross him off the list. <laughs> yeah, he's out. Yeah, no, but he didn't wear a suit to the to the zoom interview, it's not gonna happen. Um, with all of this being said though, I mean there's so many different factors that go into it anyways, and I feel like we've always talked about it on this show previously, but it, it's all going to to verify what you've seen on tape. It's all going to kind of supplement what you have on tape. So nobody's ever going to like like KG just said trust the, the combine and trust the, the pro days and things of the sort. So that's the positive thing about it all. And even with the opt-outs, it'll be tougher. But these the the, the studying is still going on. But, Dane, you brought up a really fun thing in our, uh, in our group message throughout the week. And I kind of want to hit this in the first segment. And then in the third segment, we're going to hit some offensive linemen. Because offensive line is kind of an undersung uh, position in this class, and I think we definitely need to talk about it, especially if you're the Cowboys with an offensive tackle and maybe some later rounds to try and sure up some depth. Depth, But I want to talk about a roundtable segment that you had an idea of, and it, it has to do with three different things. It's the favorite player in the class to study, prospect evaluation in this class that gives the most trouble to everybody, and then your favorite player comp. And I think this will be fun because I, I know all of these are different, but... Dane, since you came up with the idea, I'll let you go first and then I'll go with KT next, uh, and then I'll round it out after Jeff. But uh, who is your favorite player in this class to study so far?
3: Um, uh, it's hard to name just one. Um, I think you know, Zach Wilson. Um, I've been a big Zach Wilson fan um, uh, since the fall. Just he. His ability off platform um, to make those spontaneous decisions and to be naturally accurate on the move is just—it's so impressive. Makes things happen. Um, so Zach Wilson will definitely qualify. Uh, Kyle Pitts—I mean, I—I I, don't know that I could have an answer, uh, you know, for this and not mention Kyle Pitts with just—he's—he's he's a cheat code, you know. It's Just watching him make plays over defensive backs, watching him separate, watching him just. You know, be a boss out there is just—it's just a lot of fun. So, those two guys uh, immediately come to mind. Uh, just talking about uh, my favorite guys to study so far this year.
2: JT?
4: Yeah, I mean, I, I think just to throw out some different names because those are definitely fun guys. Um, obviously, Coramilla from Notre Dame is a lot of fun, just mm-hmm. the way he flies around. I, I want to just have a little fun. I want to throw a running back in there. Like uh, Kenneth Gainwell of Memphis was a lot of fun. And just nice. the number of ways he was used, especially on the rare occasion that they would line him out at the X wide receiver and throwing the ball. Um, but like little things like, oh, here's a wheel route. It was just the way they used him a lot was fun to watch. And another one I'll say, i will just going to the offensive line. I'm a big Deontay Brown fan at offensive guard. Like, if you would talk about just snapping the ball and then beating the crap out of the guy in front of you, I kind of like the way Deontay Brown rolls. Like, I kind of want him in my posse, to be honest. Like, if you ever called all, all three of trouble, them? Yeah, all
3: 365 pounds of them.
4: Yeah, I think he's a good guy to have on your side. Let's just put <laughs> it that way. So, I'm a big Deontay Brown fan. Watching his film was a lot of fun.
2: Jeff, our Darius Washington,
0: sweet, sweet Darius Washington, the best safety in this draft class. Who's going to get picked? Who knows where? Like, is he going to be picked in the? Fourth round, even though he's the best because he's five foot eight. I think that's possible. And then my uh, my other guy would be Divine Diablo because he's got the best name nice. in the class, and nobody talks about him. But he's good on tape. He's just a two hundred and almost thirty pound safety, so I think that throws people off. Mm-hmm. But I think he's a he's a really good player. Whether he's going to be a linebacker or a safety at the next level, so I'm going two safeties. Sweet, sweet Darius Washington, aka Safety One, and uh, Divine Diablo.
2: Dan, really quickly before we move on, I want to hear your thoughts on Divine Diablo as well because I liked him going into the Senior Bowl. He was one of my players to watch.
3: Yeah, I mean, he's a good player. Um, I, I think he's probably early day three guy for me in terms of just where I see him. Um, I, he is a little bit of a tweener, you know, linebacker uh, safety, but yeah, he runs well. He's a former wide receiver. That's, that's what he was when he arrived at uh, Blacksburg. Um, so you, you see that at times with his ability to play the ball, um, I just I don't know that he has enough juice to hold up in, in man coverage or uh, even to make plays uh, on you know passing lanes and zone. Um, I, so I don't I'm not 100 percent sure what I'm doing with him uh, you know, on base defense, but I think he's going to survive on special teams and think he's just a, a really quality player that can round out my roster. Uh, I'm just not sure. What's his ceiling um, for me? So that's why I have more of an
2: early fourth, fifth, sixth, somewhere early day three on him. So I've got a really easy answer for my favorite player to watch, and it was just because a lot of people maybe forgot just how dominant he was because of 2020 opt out. No, it wasn't Jalen uh, Darden. I'm not going to say that, I promise. <laughs> uh, I thought about saying it. Uh, Jamar Chase, LSU. How about that? Wide receiver. I mean, the fact that he was able to dominate NFL caliber corners the way that he was as a redshirt sophomore just was unbelievable to me. Um, And and then I was really sad when he opted out because, I mean, it allowed guys like Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddell to kind of take over. I mean, even like another opt-out and Rashad Bateman who came back and then opted out again. I mean, they, they were the ones that kind of took over college football, but I think the year that Jamar Chase would have had for LSU would have been comparable to any of those, even without Joe Burrow at quarterback, because I think he's just a fantastic player overall. So I think uh, he would probably be my favorite. Now, reversing the order a little bit here, Jeff, who was the toughest player for you to tab this year in the draft class?
0: Oh, that is a great question. Some of us don't prep as well for these segments as others, so I'm currently (laughs) looking at my list of players. Um, Toughest guy, Andre Sisco, Syracuse safety. Okay. Because I know there's people that like him, and I know that in theory he's hyper-athletic, and I know that he had a ton of interceptions. But then I watched his tape, and I don't think I've seen a safety give up more big plays than Andre Cisco. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Is somebody going to pick him in the top 50 because he's an athletic guy with a history of creating turnovers? Or do you just say, guys, I don't want him because the number of – and this is run plays, pass plays, underneath, deep. like Andre Cisco's tape, I just kept typing, you're the last line of defense. What are you doing? Um, so I'll say Andre Cisco who I'm trusting the tape and I put him in the fourth or fifth round and I'm sure he's gonna go higher than that, but it happens.
3: Plus he's coming off the ACL, which is another you know obviously that doesn't that's not as damning as you know maybe 15 years ago, but still every every knee responds differently. so just something else that uh, is important for Cisco's evaluation. Uh, I mean I, th- I think you you got him nailed, I think just in terms of, yeah, he'll make big plays, but he gives up big plays, and so I think that's more of a style thing, more of a preference. You know, and what do you want? Uh, you know, what are you looking for in your safety? A guy that is a little feast or famine, or you want a more conservative player? Um, you know, I, I was watching a guy last night, Caden Stearns, uh, the Texas safety. Yeah, uh, that he's the exact opposite. He he does not make a lot of big plays, but he also doesn't give up a, a ton of big plays either because he's just so conservative, and it's just. You know, I don't. I don't know that that's my style either as a safety. So it's just an interesting juxtaposition between those two guys.
4: KT. Yeah, I mean, for me, there's there's quite a few names, but one I would really want to throw out is Bobby Brown, the defensive lineman from Texas A&M, because you know you're watching it and you when you see the flashes, you go, wow, and then you go, why doesn't that happen more often? And there are plays when, quite frankly, it just looks like he's not trying hard. Um, and I don't know if that's the case. Maybe he's tired. Maybe he was banged up. Those types of things. But Bobby Brown was a very up and down evaluation for me. And when you're talking about putting a guy in your top 100, or, or you know, maybe trying to get this guy to be a day two pick, you know, I'm not sure Bobby Brown was consistent enough for me to take him on, you know, the third round. So I mean, that's there's a there's a lot there to like. Uh, I would definitely consider him in that third or fourth round range, but Bobby Brown was an evaluator. It was a frustrating watch, I guess I'll put. It was very up and down. Dang. Uh,
3: So I've got a few. Um, That's, uh, and I mean, for those young evaluators out there, I mean, let this segment kind of be a a lesson. You know, don't get discouraged when you watch a player and you're just like, I don't know what to do with him, because it's okay. That happens a lot. Um, some guys are just confusing, and it's just going to take a lot more work and homework to figure them out. Like for me, Anthony Schwartz is that guy uh, from Auburn. Um, this is one of the fastest humans uh, in this country. Um, he in in high school he ran a ten point zero seven in the hundred meters. Jeff, is that fast?
0: Uh, I mean, yeah, you'd think he'd be on pace to be running in the Olympics in a year or two.
3: That was his goal. I mean, he ran at Auburn. Um, you know, he. He was a two sport athlete at Auburn and he he set a few SEC records. I think it was 659 in, in the 60 meters. Um, I mean the guy can fly. There's just no doubt Ten, about it. Like
0: just real quick Dane, like when you see high school guys and they're talking about the fastest guys in the country in football, you're going to see like 104
3: right. 105. Yeah, and that's and, that, and that, that's blazing. Flying. That's yeah.
0: flying. 1007 is stupid.
3: Yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. Uh, he uh, he won the silver medal in the hundred meters at the at the World Championships as a senior uh, in high school in Finland. Um, and just I mean, this guy is just ridiculous. Uh, and uh, it just it, that, and it translates to the football field. Uh, but it translates speed wise, but not big play wise. Um, and so, a guy with that type of speed, you would expect all these these big plays either on as a return man or. Uh, you know the just underneath plays that he's able to stretch out a stride and you know take eighty yards uh, or just winning deep, but looking at his at his film, it was just a lot of uh, you know a lot of uh, feast or famine. Uh, I mean, he was um, looking at. Can I blame
0: his, Bo Nix? Can I just blame Bo? Well, and
3: that's and that's part of it. That's part of it too. So you know, looking at his 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 tape of his one hundred and seventeen catches. Only 9.4% of them resulted in a play 25 yards or more. I mean, that's just that's not the that's not the percentage, the odds that you want to see from a player with this type of speed. But yes, you factor in he's a young player who uh, you know was also a track athlete at Auburn. So in the off season, he's not training for football. He's not working out with football. He's training with track, and obviously two different sports with two different uh, you know conditioning uh, process and, and preparation. Um, now that he's football only, is that going to be is able to improve? You know, what's his ceiling on the football field? It's, it, it's a really interesting uh, evaluation because there's a lot of projection there. Where do you feel comfortable drafting him? Um, and then a guy on the defensive side of the ball, Chris Rumpf out of Duke. Um, really, really interesting because he didn't start playing. His dad, uh, longtime college and NFL uh, defensive coach, uh, defensive coach at or defensive coordinator at Florida. Now he's in the NFL um, with, with the Bears as their defensive line coach. Really extensive background in coaching uh, at a high level. But he didn't let his son, uh, Chris Rumpf II, he didn't allow him to play football until high school. And so he was a 170-pound junior in high school. Um, and so just way behind in terms of his body, in terms of uh, just football development. Um, goes to Duke, and the last two years, this guy was was hard to block. Uh, 34 total passes or uh, tackles for loss, uh, but I don't know what to do with him because he's undersized and he's a, a liability in the run game. Once blockers get their hands on him, they can shut him down fairly easily. So, where are you playing him? Is he a sub package guy, or can can you get something out of him as an off ball player in early downs? I just uh, trying to figure out his exact role is is really tough i I think you know we talk about um you know gadget players on offense you know uh, we don't talk enough about gadget players on defense you know we don't we don't use that term for defenders to me ruff is a gadget player you know and uh, however you want to use him i think there's definitely value there you just have to figure out the right role the right way to deploy him because i mean he has speed um you know he's got a knack for finding the crease and you know creating havoc in the backfield just it's a lot of fun to watch, but trying to nail down his exact projection
2: at the next level is a little bit of a challenge. I like it. Uh, real quickly, I'm going to give my, my back-to-back, starting with uh, with the comp player, or, or excuse me, starting with my toughest to, to evaluate, and that's Jason Away, edge rusher out of Penn State. And the reason why is because I want to love the traits, and I do. And I want to love the film, and I try and talk myself into loving the film, but he also didn't have a sack at all this past season. And I know there wasn't necessarily a whole lot to work with on that Penn State defense. They really struggled on that side of the football this year without Micah Parsons back there, without some of the other guys like Aguirre Matos, and players that had left previously. But he has every single bit of the tools available to potentially make it and be successful in the NFL. i still tabbed him as one of my top edge rushers, but it was still kind of tough for me to really look at it and say, I think he's going to get to the quarterback in the NFL whenever he didn't have a single sack in 2020. My favorite comp, other than Dane Brugler's comp of Carlos Basham Jr., where he comped him to Marcus Davenport earlier in the year. I love that comp, Dane, by the way, so props to you on that one. Hmm. Uh, I tweeted this out, though. Quincy Roche, edge rusher out of Miami, I compared him to bradley and i and i think roger is way better than an i but i also i i think they win in certain ways they were both uber productive during their collegiate tenures and then all of a sudden Uh, Roche, whenever Gregory Rousseau opted out, had a bigger opportunity to be productive, and he ended up having a a huge sack year. And he wins with short arms and not a ton of speed, which is exactly what I had written down for Bradley and I last year. And so I compared those two guys together. Once again, I think Roche is just a better player overall, more polished than I was. And with that being said, he's still one of my top eight edge rushers as well, Dane.
3: Yeah, it's Roche is interesting. He's he he's a, he's tough to stack in this class because uh, there's so many uh, talented rushers in that mm-hmm. you know rounds two to four range. Um, you know he, he's he's log jammed in there with guys like Rashad Weaver and Peyton Turner and Patrick Jones. Yeah, um, yeah it, it, so it's tough to stack him. Um, I don't like him as much as you do, but he did I thought he did he helped himself at the senior bowl he he played showed a little more juice uh, live than I saw on tape which is good to see mm-hmm. but I mean another guy you mentioned Owe, not much production um, you know uh, roche he didn't have a ton of sack production as a as a senior sure. at Miami um, so it's it, you know he, he could be a little bit difficult too
2: who was your favorite cop Dane?
3: um so i've got a few of them uh i really like the uh, Travon marig to jesse bates um comparison because you're talking about guys tall linear uh a little a little leaner than you want and that'll show in the run game but guys that are proven ball hawks or you know they, they got range they know how to make plays on the ball um you know they're probably not going to be first rounders i mean maybe Merrick gets in the first round but i think probably more early second um uh, you know, kind of like Jesse Bates for for a lot of the same reasons, um, and then at linebacker, uh, Jamin Davis at uh, a Kentucky, who's a day two player in this draft. He is a carbon copy, a, a clone of uh, Zach Cunningham, who at uh, of Vanderbilt went to the Texans. I I, th- I just think they're the exact same player. Uh, that it was it just hit me over the head watching. Davis's, uh tape, how, how similar they were. So those two really stood out as as easy comps for me.
2: KT?
4: Yeah, for me, uh, I'm going to go a little off the beaten path here. When I watched Notre Dame tight end Tommy Trimble, I was kind of getting Joseph DeGuara vibes. Uh, if you remember him from Cincinnati, kind of lined up everywhere. You could line him out at X. You could play him as the H-back. And I know you can do that with a lot of tight ends, but just kind of the way they moved and the way they played, I kind of kind of had that as my, uh, my comps that I that I liked. Um, Tommy Trimble and, and Joseph DeGuara, I think, went, went the third round and then he tore his ACL. Um, you know, I, I think I always get uncomfortable with comps, with quarterbacks, because there's so much going on at the quarterback level that I I'm, I'm re- really uncomfortable doing that. Um, so I don't know. I'm going to stay away from the quarterbacks. One guy, and I do not like his tape, Uh, really at all from this year Uh, I mean his his most recent tape but I I do see the running style when I watch Chuba Hubbard I see that kind of upright style that Darren McFadden had now way different obviously uh, McFadden All-American first round pick Chuba Hubbard you know I don't think it's crazy to say that he might not get drafted but I think he probably mm-hmm. goes in the 5th, 6th, 7th round, something like that. But when I watched it, I typed that on my notes right there. Like, hey, kind of like that McFadden style. But there's a lot going on with Chuba Hubbard. When I watched him, I was not impressed. Jeff?
0: Oh, Darius Washington, uh, <laughs> Honey Badger. I don't know if I have to say it over and over again. Yeah, my 5'8 safety, he's Honey Badger, and that's awesome. And the other one is a bad comp. I'm going to throw that out before I give you the comp just because the size is so much different. But Kadarius Toney, the Florida wide receiver, his tape reminds me of when I was 10 years old or however old I was watching Dante Hall with the Kansas City Chiefs because it's like three people will run into each other or run into him and somehow he's still going and they're all on the ground. (laughs) Just the, the, the change of direction and the contact balance and how in the hell did he squirt out of that? Uh, so, Kadarius Tony reminds me of every great punt returner ever, and he does it while he's playing wide receiver or taking handoffs. But, yes, our Darius Washington, TCU safety, Honey Badger, the end. I,
3: I, I thought you were comparing Kadarius Tony to yourself at 10 years old. That's the what way I way thought you, it was about. The way you phrased I, I it. Was, was,
0: I, I will tell wow. you, at 10, at 10, I had wiggle. I was ahead athletically at 10. It was at about uh, 15 that people caught up. Did
3: you, did you also want a wrapping career like Kadarius Tony and... I, uh, I would
0: like it. Yeah, that would be great. Okay. I, I could hey, go country hey. music or rap. I would go either yeah. one, but I'll take I, I mean, I need, if anybody out there is offering.
3: I need to update my uh, report on uh, Tony to uh, change my comp form.
2: <laughs> to, there you change go. Change it to 10-year-old Jeff Cavanaugh? Yes. yes. I like it. I think that'd be fun, Jeff. I think you're you're witty and like quick-witted enough to be a, a like a freestyle rapper. Like if you had to sit down and write it, I don't know if you could do it. But I think if you're sitting there and it just just rattling it off the top of your head, I think you could get it done.
0: I thought so too, Kyle. And then I tried.
2: You tried? <laughs> yeah. How did that? It, it didn't go well. Not well. Oh, well, work. that's unfortunate. Well. No. I like your comp of Kadarius, Tony. I had him with Percy Harvin. That was who I had him tabbed as, kind of once again another nice returner, somebody that is lightning quick and shifty. So plenty of comps to go around, and, of course, that's one of the fun parts about the draft is trying to look for those comps, and we just gave a couple of our favorites. We might do this again, Dane. I think we should do this again maybe when we get real close to the draft and kind of go up and uh, and talk about it. Uh, Again, kind of our favorites, our hardest since then, and maybe even our comps since then as well. But when we come back here on the DallasCowboys.com Draft Show, time for some Twitter on the 20. We'll do it right after the break.
1: Sometimes nothing beats a classic. Miller Lite, the original light beer. Brewed with great taste and only 96 calories. Available for delivery. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. 96 calories, 3.2 carbs per 12 ounces. Sometimes nothing beats a classic. Miller Light, the original light beer. Brewed with great taste and only 96 calories. Available for delivery. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. 96 calories, 3.2 carbs per 12 ounces. This is the DallasCowboys.com draft show.
2: Entering segment number two here at the DallasCowboys.com Draft Show. Glad you're with us. Chris Beam back in studio. We've got Dane Brugler, Kevin KT-Turner, the great Jeff Cavanaugh. Kyle Yeoman. Kyle Time now for some Twitter on the 20. As always, like I said, Beamer doing work in the back at the SWBC Mortgage Studios. All right, starting things off with a very quick rapid-fire question for you, and I'm going to direct this toward Dane Brugler. Jason Pruitt asks... Yearly question that has the 2021 weirdness kind of added to it, but even though there wasn't a traditional combine this year, of course, that being snubbed and moved to pro days, who do you see as some of the snubs and surprises from the list that came out of the quote-unquote combine invites, Dane? Yeah, there were 323
3: names um, on the list that that they released yesterday. Um, A few of the guys that I I thought were – it was a little surprising they were left off. Um, you know, running back Spencer Brown from UAB is a good player. Um, a couple of wide receivers like Marlon Williams from UCF, uh, Demonte Coxey Memphis. A couple of senior bowl guys. Uh, Bowling Green, tight end Quentin Morris, uh, Riley Cole, the linebacker from South Alabama, um, Tariq Thompson, the safety out of uh, San Diego State. So there were a few. I, I didn't think any were you know, necessarily egregious. Um, you know the names I just mentioned are borderline draft picks, so uh, I, you know not a not a huge surprise. But uh, you know I, I thought it's it's always interesting when you know you uh, get the get the combine list and some of the players that are left off, and you know it's because it just you know peek behind the curtain. Uh, you know the national uh, NFS they put this combine on. Terms and they 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 vote on you know which players they want to see and you know obviously teams have their input so just it's interesting to see which players got the most votes to to be represented uh, at the combine.
2: All right, well I mean even in a year like this to be snubbed from the combine I feel like it's not necessarily a uh it's not as big of a deal and and like you said in the first segment there's usually thirty or. 40 guys are in between that mix that end up going and getting drafted that did not end up uh, at the Combine, and some a little bit higher than others. Uh, let's go to uh, – Jeff already answered this question on Twitter, but I want to answer it on the show as well. But Tom Downey asks, what prospect do you not want the Cowboys to draft at 10 out of the ones that are realistic for the Cowboys to draft at 10? And he did say, Jeff Cavanaugh, you're not allowed to say Gregory Rousseau because – we knew that would probably be the answer. But, Jeff, who else would you not want the Cowboys to select at 10?
0: Ooh, that is a really good question. Um tempted to say Micah Parsons. Mm. Um, but I'm going to say any edge rusher. I just don't think there's one eligible to me to be picked at 10. And Aziz Aguilari is my top one out of Georgia. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think there's a pass rusher worth the
3: tenth pick. I think it's a good answer because I mean, what? I'm not even sure what the other answer would be because, for me at least, I mean, I I would be fine, even though it wouldn't be my preference. I, I wouldn't be mad if they drafted Jalen Waddle. Um, you know, yeah. wouldn't be mad if they drafted Kyle Pitts. Wouldn't be mad, uh, you know, if they drafted, um, you know, any any of these top linebackers. Um, Slater. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you you don't. You, it might not be your first choice. You might not love it, but I don't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't be like uh, upset about it. So, yeah, I, I think that's a good answer. Any of the edge rushers, maybe Christian Barmore. I think that's a little early for him. Um, yeah, I don't. Maybe. You know, I like JC Horn, but even ten feels a little early for him. But I, I still yeah. wouldn't be like, you know, let be up in arms about it. So yeah, that's. I think any. Any, uh, any of the edge rushers, probably a little too early for them at that 10th that pick.
4: I, I want to weigh in, like, if with, where they're at at 10, if for now, and it's maybe a bad assumption, but if you can assume that four quarterbacks are going in front of you at 10, or just for the sake of this discussion, let's say that, then we know that we have six players coming down, down your way, five six seven eight nine ten 10, right? Uh, stack that board up, and if you really want to focus on defense, then maybe you can move things around. But like stack that board up, you can easily know who you want, and you will have every scenario lined up. You need yep. six picks that you have to deal with right here, six players, and you should have one, two, three, four mm. scenarios lined up. I think where the, I think where the discussion gets interesting is if you trade back, and that's where you start pitting uh, Ogilary against J.C. Horn, um, mm. or or against uh, you know maybe it's Darisaw against yeah against Barmore or. or Vera Tucker or whatever however you want to play it, if you're thinking offensive line there. Like if there's a trade back and you're in that seventeen to twenty region, that's where I think it gets a little more difficult. I actually think it's pretty simple to to draft someone you like at ten when you know that three or four quarterbacks will be going in front of you. I really don't think you can go wrong there if you've done your work and you have it stacked the way that you want to, wanna to go. And I'm saying the that in problem. Terms of, well I'm saying that in saying, terms of picking the guy you want.
0: Yeah, I would say the only problem with that is when you said stack up your next six guys, I think my next six guys play offense, and I think that that's not <laughs> ideal for the Cowboys because to me the yeah. next six guys would be some combination of Panay Sewell, Rashawn Slater, Kyle Pitts, Jamar Chase, Jalen Waddle, Devontae Smith. So yeah. if four quarterbacks go, I think the, next, the six uh, next best <laughs> players all play offense.
2: Well, at least maybe seven and eight might be defense. I mean, I Farley and, and Sertan maybe. might be there. Maybe if that if that's where you have them ranked. My easy answer to this question would be Mac Jones. Please don't ever talk to me about drafting Mac Jones at ten, even if he is the only quarterback available at that point and You haven't signed Dak Prescott because I feel like KT, you're talking about all these big scenarios, but even with the scenarios that are outside of the draft itself, in Dak Prescott's contract negotiations and everything that's going on there. If Mac Jones is the presumed pick at 10, I would be livid. I I would hate that. It would be
0: better than not picking a quarterback if you haven't signed your quarterback. No,
2: no, no. I don't want to. I don't want it. No, you want to, so You Jones, want to just drift? I would the, rather drift. I would kick that can down the road before I would I would draft Mac Jones. You know that
0: down care. the road is like the next draft having Keaton Slovis and who knows what else. Yeah, we'll figure it out. There's a lot of quarterbacks Man, on the free agent market. Take on quarterback Kyle. no, we'll no I, I'm just saying. That is I'm a just bad saying. Quarterback take by Kyle. I'm saying.
2: I'm saying we will figure it out rather than having Mac Jones because I don't want Mac Jones at like really at all. Uh, that's my my one thing. But I could uh-huh. be wrong. I've been wrong before. I'm going out on a limb to say that. I think Mac Jones would be a terrible pick at 10. Uh, but, kind of, I want to go back to what KT was just saying, because it, it is intriguing to me, because last year when we were picking at 17, there were conversations about pretty much anybody, and, and we thought, of course, CeeDee Lamb wasn't even a part of that conversation, and he was the one that fell. I think this could be a whole segment in itself, and we may do this next week, but if we do trade down, or if the Cowboys do trade down, then... What is the? What are the scenarios? What are those different players, like you said, stacking up a horn versus an Ozilari and, and, and talking about these different prospects that aren't top ten prospects but are still really good players and what would you get in return for maybe the second and the third round to kind of add on to your draft? I think that might be a fun segment we do next week overall, KT. I like where your head's at in that regard. Um, looking for... My page refreshed. This is bad radio. Um... Looking. I do that to, every day, brother. I know it's the worst. Uh, Five Adam, hours of it. Yeah, Adam asked uh, what uh, or what prospects get under opponents' skin the best in this draft class because he wants Dallas to end up with some dogs, some guys who can trash talk, bring some personality, honey badger-like intensity. Who are some guys that could potentially bring that?
0: Kelvin Joseph, the Kentucky corner, and J.C. Horn, South Carolina corner, those are the two guys that they don't stop. Uh, It's fun because when you can see that on tape, you just get to imagine what's happening. But those are the two guys by far that jump out as they're going to talk to you, they're going to play hard, they're going to make you mad, and then they're going to tell you they made you mad, and then they're going to make a play, and then they're going to tell you they made a play. Uh, Yeah, J.C. Horn, Kelvin Joseph
3: the one thing that i worry about with horn is how much is it good the other way how much is it uh you know for how easy is it for receivers to get underneath his skin um you know because he does play so emotional and so aggressive and uh, that that is a that is a tough Ooh, i got gil brent calling me should i should i answer it and put him on yes <laughs> yes no hold on all right always uh, um, that's, you know, he's, he's uh, a
0: missed opportunity for the show right there.
3: <laughs> I, w- I wouldn't do that to Gil, uh, <laughs> but he, uh, he uh, <laughs> uh, not, not the Godfather. Come on. Um, oh, goodness. So I, I, with JC Horn, he plays so emotional that it does worry me both ways. Cause yeah, he, he will get after it. He will talk. He's not as flashy as his dad, you know, Joe Horn, but he's still, you know, you could see that alpha mentality in him. But I also think it goes the other way too, where when the receiver might might have a few wins uh, against him, it it starts to go south a little bit, and so uh, you know you see that in on some of these tapes where uh, some of the receivers they'll go right at him, they they try to get under his skin early, uh, try to kind of set the precedent uh, early in that game. So it just Horn's an interesting one when you talk about uh, you know wearing his emotions on his sleeves and being aggressive.
4: I, I want to point out something that I'm not sure we've talked about on this show. Like we all talked about, how, hey, JC Horn's a little grabby down the field sometimes, right? Oh. Things like that. So is Patrick Sertan. No one really talks about it. The big difference, though, is Patrick Sertan will grab a guy down the field and he'll just put his head down and, and run back, like and get back into, uh, you know go into the huddle or whatever. Like JC Horn. This is why it's just—he's it's, just so demonstrative every time. He'll hold a guy, and then he'll turn around and go, "What? No, nope, no, nope, nope, nope. And it's like, "Hey, man, Sertan, like very pro about it. Hey, I'm gonna hold you. I'm gonna grab you. I'm gonna grab you. I'm gonna grab you. Oh no, just go back to the huddle. Normal, normal day at the normal day at the office. I just, i do think it's interesting because it—it it stands out way more when you watch Horn than it does with Sertan. And maybe Horn's a little more grabbier than Sertan, but like. It's not act like Sertan's not getting his hands in there a little bit. He just, he just has a good way of not showing it after the play and a good timing to just kind of pull it back at the right time and not like play to the refs. It's very funny. The difference,
0: the difference is, is, that it's Horn's primary coverage technique. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he
2: does it a lot
3: more.
0: I mean, it's it, it, every ha- play.
3: It happens with a lot of corners, but I. It, more so with JC Horn. Every time he gets up, he is looking for the official either to make sure he didn't throw a flag or to complain because the flag wasn't thrown. It, it's, just, it's amazing when you're watching him every time after a play, he gets up and immediately
2: finds the official for one reason or the other. It, it's, it's just fascinating with him. Even with like the the grabbiness and the hands, and I've always had trouble kind of deciphering this myself, so I'll, I'll pass this question on to you guys. But when does it become a problem? Whenever there is a corner, like like you're you're d- differing even Sertan and Far, or excuse me, and Horn here. But when does it become a problem whenever they are handsy downfield?
4: Because in it the, is a technique thing, and it is something that can be taught, right? Yeah, no, no, it's a problem when it's in the Super Bowl and the refs want to throw a lot of flags. True. Like but some, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm more some of saying, sometimes just let it fly.
2: I agree, but I'm, I'm I'm kind of trying to say, when is it more of a a, a draft issue? When are you going to knock a guy for being handsy? As opposed to another guy for being handsy because everybody's gonna be physical in some sense whenever they're in the cornerback position but what is the threshold of it being a problem and it being fixable from a draft prospect
0: I think you just have to figure out is he doing that because he's incapable of covering or is he doing that because it gives him an added advantage and he knows he can get away with it at the college level for JC Horn I'll tell you this at the moment he's my cornerback number one And that's while acknowledging that he is the graviest corner I've ever studied because I also see that his athleticism, it doesn't require that. So if it becomes a big issue and he's getting flagged twice a week in the NFL, then you're going to have to take it away. But I also view it as the positive of that's that aggressive mindset. That's that you're not – you get nothing from me. Like, I'm going going to be with you every step of the way. You're going to feel me. I'm going to be here. Uh, So unless it's to cover up for a lack of something, I won't kill you yet. It's just a matter of in the league if you start getting flagged every week then and we can't take it away from you and have you still be good. But I think his athleticism is good enough that it's not required.
3: I think the other thing too with that is I'd rather give me the aggressive guy and we'll try to scale it back as opposed to the non-aggressive guy, the passive player, and try to crank it up with him. I'd rather give me the JC Horns of the world and we'll manage it and work on it uh, as opposed to the opposite so uh, you know that that's that's another reason why I think Horns, uh, you know even though he is grabby I think mean, what five penalties in seven games this year um, you know it, you still feel comfortable with him as a first-round pick no
2: I like that a lot I mean that's a great answer if, if it relies if his athleticism relies on the fact of him being handsy to be successful then that's an issue and if not then, hey, it's a teachable thing, and hopefully professional coaches could make an impact. I like that a lot. That's a good answer from both of you guys. Uh, Let's go ahead and take our second break. When we come back, there's some offensive linemen that we need to talk about on this show because we don't talk a whole lot about the offensive line, especially on the interior. We'll talk about it next. The Hog Miley's up front when we return here on the Cowboys Draft Show.
1: Sometimes nothing beats a classic. Miller Lite, the original light beer. Brewed with great taste and only 96 calories. Available for delivery. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. 96 calories, 3.2 carbs per 12 ounces.
2: The Cowboys way. Where 16 Hall of Famers and 5 championships shows us what success looks like. Where turkey is always the second best part of Thanksgiving Day. Where we are all defined by one single thing. The star where we as fans know it's our job to keep the tradition going. Bank of America is proud to be the official bank of the Dallas Cowboys and to support the quest of living life the Cowboys way.
1: That's huge. Then guess who's getting a deal? Is it Jackie Flash? Jackie Flash. It's not complicated. At AT AT&T, our best smartphone deals are for everyone. Restrictions apply. Visit ATT.com for details. Before there was a draft, you could size up a cowboy by three simple factors. The crease in his hat, the bend of his brim, and his unbending attitude. A man Stetson didn't just protect him from what life threw at him. It projected a rugged, unstoppable spirit. Stetson hats are still American-made with pride right here in Texas. They're still the unofficial crown of all self-respecting cowboys, and Stetson is proud to be on the field with America's team. Find a retailer nearest you at stetson.com slash cowboys. Sometimes nothing beats a classic. Miller Lite, the original light beer. Brewed with great taste and only 96 calories. Available for delivery. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. 96 calories, 3.2 carbs per 12 ounces is the
2: DallasCowboys.com Draft Show. Final segment here of the DallasCowboys.com Draft Show. Glad you're with us. Everybody, just take a moment and say a quick prayer for Jeff Cavanaugh's phone battery, so that way hopefully he stays with us the entirety of this final segment. But if not, he'll join us next week, I guess, if, if we can't get him back up and going. But Dave Brugler, Jeff Cavanaugh, Kevin KT Turner, I'm Kyle Yeomans, and well, Dane, there are some offensive linemen we need to talk about. KT, you put this in our group message as well this past week, and uh, I know Jeff has been hitting up on these, these offensive linemen too, so there's been a lot of offensive line talk, and we're going to go through that quite a bit here over the next couple of moments, but KT, what were some of the topics that you wanted to hit whenever it came to the front five and, and how it could potentially be shaped out in this draft class?
4: Well, I mean, I think there's a lot of things to talk about with these guys. And, and any time Jeff is tweeting about offensive linemen, you know that you're in good shape to talk about this. You want to take advantage of Jeff because generally Jeff doesn't like to talk about offensive linemen with me. So I like that. Jeff is sending out some well, tweets.
0: Well, uh, there was a time where I didn't need to worry about it on the Cowboys. And so I grew to not care about watching offensive <laughs> linemen because you didn't need them. And now it might be time to turn that page. So I have to do the annoying work of watching offensive line.
4: Now, we've talked so much about Pene Sewell and Rashawn Slater. I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on those guys today, but I think there is a conversation to be had about what happens after that. And, Dane, I'll go to you. Um, Darasaw, as I think a lot of people's offensive tackle three, you start to get Vera Tucker from USC in there. Uh, Oklahoma State's Tevin Jenkins. I mean, there's lots of guys. Eichenberg, if you want to talk about him. There's tons of guys. I start to think – You know the Cowboys' success. I do know feeling. I feel like I know how the Joneses operate a lot. I feel like they feel comfortable taking first-round offensive linemen, and I do think that's in play if they traded back. Um, And I don't know if that's the right thing to do. But if there was a trade back, I still think offensive linemen would be in play. But the other thing that I've been thinking about is if you're sitting there at 44 and you're trading up into the back of the first round, or you're trading up into the top of the second round, and it was for a player. Who would it be? And I know you can you, the, the names are, are limitless, but for me, I start to think about, do they even know that they need an offensive tackle? The answer is probably yes, but they might need a guard just the same way they need a tackle. And I think those are questions they're going to be balancing. And the, the easy answer is find a guy who can play both.
3: Yeah, and that's obviously easier said than done, but it, you know, it's, if you're going to find one, I think this is the class to do it. Uh, there's uh, yeah, This week on The Athletic, I posted my top 12 offensive tackles, top 10 guards, top 8 centers, um, and there's a lot of future NFL starters in there, a lot of them, and uh, several of them do have the position flexibility that you're looking for, whether it be tackle guard, guard center. Um, so you know this this draft is. I don't think we talk enough about the offensive line and how uh, strong of a group it is. You know, it's it's it's. I don't think it's up there with uh, you know necessarily wide receiver or um, you know even even edge rusher. I think is up there. Corner is up there. But the offensive line is it's a really strong group. Um, and you could pull coals in these guys. I mean, Christian Darrisaw. Uh, it, it bugs the heck out of me how he just doesn't he did, he plays for like 90% of the play and then he's good. You know, like just just finish man. Come on. <laughs> give me give me a killer instinct here. Um you yeah, know like that drives me nuts. But That's why you know, I put
0: that's why I put Tevin Jenkins ahead of Darius on mind, because I think that he plays harder. Like he wants to yeah, finish he you. He plays with that mentality and Darius plays like you know, this is easy, you know. He gets the job done, he does his job and he's just kind of like, "Cool." And Jenkins is like, "I want to kill you."
3: Yeah, that, and I'm not no no arguments for me on that. The three and four are very close for me. I I went Darasaud Jenkins, but if if you flip those, no issue with that at all. Jenkins is is so uniquely powerful, um, and he he does have that killer instinct that you want to see more from from Darisaw. Jenkins. A little short armed, and that worries me a little bit. Um, but I do think both of these guys. I don't see why either of these guys wouldn't be able to move inside to guard if you needed them to. So. You know, we're talking about a trade back situation from from ten. You know, maybe either of those two guys are on the radar. Um, and if they wait until day two to address the position, I think there's there's going to be options. Dylan Radens from North Dakota State, Deontay Smith, East Carolina. Um, you know, guys with tackle and guard experience who, you know, your your football team is going to be better if you draft these guys. Uh, your offensive line depth is going to be better, and it just it's it's going to help your entire offense. So. I, I, it might not be the sexiest pick, but I think it would make sense for this team.
2: Do you think it would be easier to address the offensive line issues in day two than it would be to, to add safety or a corner or somebody on the on the defensive side of the football if you didn't go offensive tackle at 10?
0: Dane, riddle me this. Tell me if you think I'm too early on this, but you talk about having them play both or having the ability to. What if you took Alex Leatherwood in the second round, mm. Alabama's left tackle, that I think some are going to view him as a guard, and maybe he can do both. Is that too early for Leatherwood?
3: Yeah, I think that's that's right around what? They pick 44? I mean, I, to me, that's exi- right, right where Leatherwood should be drafted, you know, somewhere between 35 and 50. You know, I think he's in that range. Uh, personally, I agree with him as a guard. Um, I, I, he's just—he's not the most explosive guy. He's got a little bit of stiffness in his lower body. And so I, I think that he's going to be better inside a guard. He played it, uh, what, as a sophomore before he moved back to left tackle as a uh, junior and senior. So we do have some tape uh, of him at guard. Um, but, yeah, I, I think he, he wants to be a tackle. Um, and so I think he's shown enough that you feel – okay with him if you want to keep him outside but again i I think he's better inside and and again that's why we're talking about a second round pick and not a first round pick with some of his issues but in the second round yeah i think you feel good about alex leatherwood
4: and the way that they operate is like free agency clean up holes for the draft so uh do they bring cam irving back do they bring joe looney back do they add any depth at you know guard or tackle to make make you go, oh, okay, uh, now we just need to focus on tackle. And if you're doing that you're just focus on tackle, that's where you names like Liam Eikenberg of Notre Dame come into play, maybe on day two. Maybe uh, Samuel Cosme uh, from Texas. Texas. Maybe that comes into play. Or if you need a guard, I mean, I mentioned him earlier. He's my guy and he may not fit what they want to do on offense. They might want to play a little faster. Um, but, man, I am a big big fan of Deontay Brown I know I mentioned earlier and maybe mm-hmm. you can get him on maybe you can get him at 75 in round three now the other guy it's a very interesting name if you need an interior offensive line help and who knows how far he'll drop is Landon Dickerson of Alabama um, after the ACL I, I he'll knock him a little bit but I don't think it's going to drop him too far so maybe there's a little day two value uh, maybe a guy who slides a little bit, just because he might be a little late to the party. You know, may, maybe he's ready to start training camp. He should be. Uh, at least pretty that's, close to that. It's, that's a great name
3: because you know we we know this team in the second round. They're not they're not scared to take an injury guy or a character guy. Um, <laughs> and Lander Dickerson, that's the, I, that, that that that's that's a great point. I mean, he he would be if he fell to 44. Uh, scoop him up. I mean, this this guy. The injury history is long, extensive, and worrisome, but he's also an easy first-round talent. Um, I actually like him better at guard, even though he played almost primarily center uh, at Alabama. But he can play both. Um, he brings that culture that you want. Um, his his football character is outstanding on the field. Outstanding. Um, it's just you worry about him staying on the field and. You know, the, the greatest predictor of future injury is past injury, and he has, you know, more
2: than enough of that. So, But if he's going to be there at 44, it might be worth the risk. Dane, you say all of these great things about uh, about him and about his his character and his on the field talent and everything, and then you say the injury history and how it's extensive and how it's a predictor, and then uh, like I'm all out again on him. I mean, right, I'm already out because I don't want the same offensive line trouble that the Cowboys had this past year because that's exactly what it was. It was a, it was a revolving a door. Of,
0: a lot of yeah. Bama hate out of well, Owens today. I'm just no
2: saying. Matt Jones, no Landon Dicker. What did they do to you? That's true. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it is just Alabama. I Mm. I, I also hate Devontae Smith. No, I'm just kidding. I don't hate Devontae (laughs) Smith.
4: Oh, no, Kyle, no. No,
2: he's really good. No, he's really good. I promise. I promise.
4: Uh, Kyle, 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 real quick. Real quick. I got a question for you then. Because if you don't want, if the injury history bothers you there, does round four Walker Little from Stanford do anything for you?
2: Yes, because it's less. I mean, what would we already have had? Four picks before that: a first-round pick, a second-round pick, and potentially two third-round picks. So he'd be your fifth pick in the draft. I would take that. I would take Walker Little at that point. Yeah, I think he'd be a, a steal
3: at that point too. Yeah, um, he's he's he 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 had a missed opportunity by not playing at the Senior Bowl. Um, yeah. I, I, he he had his invite. He, he declined it. I mean, I, that's a big missed opportunity for him. Um, We just haven't seen him on the field. uh, in you know, almost two years. So, uh, you know, he's a really talented player. It's just tough. He 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 would have qualified for that first segment when we went over guys that are just tough to figure out. And with him, it's just because the the lack of sample size and
2: just haven't seen him in a while. And just to be clear on uh, on Dickerson specifically, I still have him as a as a top five lineman. Or wait no he is seventh on my list at the moment in terms of interior offensive linemen he's seventh at the point so I still think very highly of him and I think he's a he's an incredible player and an incredible leader you saw that just from the SEC championship game and the reaction that he had and then of course whenever he came back in and took the final kneel down of the natty uh I mean overall he's he's he was the heart and soul of that offense but I want to go back to a question, or not even a question, but something that Bucky Brooks said on Tuesday's show. And he said, if you're going to be in a position that the Cowboys are in and you want to get an offensive tackle, go get him at 10. Don't do don't wait. And, uh, go get a Duke. Go get a Slater. Go get a Derrissaw. Or even if Sewell somehow miraculously fell, I mean, it happens every year, if he somehow fell, get one of these top guys at tackle and then worry about the rest of your team later on do you agree with this standpoint uh, from an overall look of the Cowboys because I mean we have that kind of,
3: uh, My my rebuttal to that would be well why wouldn't you say the same thing about corner? You know, why ooh, why would it, why wouldn't you say the same thing about well, you know, go get, you know, you the Cowboys may have a chance to draft the best corner in this in this class. You know, why wouldn't you say that also about corner instead of, you know, waiting to see what's available for you in the second round? So, I mean, I don't necessarily disagree with it. I just think you could say that about several positions for this team and for this class.
0: Dane, Slater, Rashawn Slater and Greg Newsom, or Patrick Sertan and Alex Leatherwood?
3: Uh, Slater and Newsome. Uh, will Newsom. Make, me.
0: Will Newsom that, make 44?
3: No, I mean, he's, he's going no. in the first round. The only, the only okay. thing you worry about with Newsom is, yeah, again, a guy that's missed at least three games each year. Um, and so he, he's got a very lean, wiry frame. Um, his, him not holding up would be the only reason he doesn't go in the first round, in my opinion. Uh, just a, a really – I comped him to Kyle Fuller. I think he's uh, a top four corner in this draft. It just comes down to, you know, do you trust him to stay out there? And if you do, I, I think he's going to go in the first round.
4: Okay, Slater and Newsom or Sertan and Jenkins? Say that again now. What was it? Slater, Slater. and Newsom or okay. Sertan and Tevin Jenkins?
0: Boy, oh. Tevin Jenkins at 44 would be amazing. That
3: would be yeah. really nice. Yeah, he, but, must have bro- so he, he, he might have like held up a convenience Whoa, thing. whoa, <laughs> whoa, <laughs> wow, <laughs>
4: wow. If he did at <laughs> you gotta he get did 44, you got to do something, something. and figure yeah, out why yeah, he did something. It would be a tonsil uh, thing. He's still still a hoagie.
3: Yeah, uh, I, I would still go with the Northwestern route just because I think I, I would too. I, I, I'm I'm that high on Newsom, but that definitely makes you think more. I guess Jenkins is really good, and uh, obviously Sertan's a really good player. So
2: that I, I mean, if, that, if you're choosing between those two uh, scenarios, the, the draft's working out okay for you. <laughs> yeah, I, I think you would be happy with either one of those I, I would be no pretty doubt. pumped about either one of those if you're the Cowboys because you're fixing your offensive line or at least adding some depth and then adding some potentials there and then you're turning around and you got yourself a, a starter on defense in each of those realms at cornerback but we're running out of time. That's going to do it for us here on the DallasCowboys.com draft show. Be sure to follow all of these guys on Twitter. They have great work throughout the week. Dane on the athletic, of course, KT and Jeff in the local radio markets as well, and they continue to do fantastic work. But until then, until next Thursday, 10 a.m. Central Time, we'll see you next time. For Dane Brugler, Kevin KT Turner, for Jeff Cavanaugh, and Chris Bean back in studio, I'm Kyle Yeomans. Thanks for listening to the DallasCowboys.com draft show.